Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are in Matthew chapter 23, and if you're just joining us, we are at the end of our intro to the gospel series with the gospel of Matthew. We've been going through each chapter day by day, piece by piece, and looking at the history, the culture, the context, all of the things that we sometimes miss as modern readers. I'd encourage you, if you're just joining us, to go back to the beginning of this series so it all makes sense to you. But as we've gone along, there's a couple additional resources I want to let you know about. On our Patreon page, we have daily journaling prompts, family discussion guides, even a kid's podcast to help your family hear God's voice more clearly together. We also have ad-free episodes, so if you would rather listen ad-free, you can do that as well. So let's pick up at chapter 23, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you, do and comply with it all, but do not do as they do, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as their finger. And they do all their deeds to be noticed by other people, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the seats of honor in the synagogues and personal greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by the people. But as for you, do not be called rabbi, for only one is your teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for only one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for only one is your leader, that is Christ. For the greatest of you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven in front of people, for you do not enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering it to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land and make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated." You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And you say, whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering that is on it is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, the one who swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And the one who swears by the temple swears by both the temple and him who dwells in it. And the one who swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithed mints and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of a cup and a dish, but the inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So to you, outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you snakes, you offspring of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you will fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed of earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now there's a lot going on here in this passage, probably some of it that sounds really strange or unfamiliar to you. So I'm going to unpack some of that for us today. We're looking at chapter 23, and this is a highlight of some of the disputes that Jesus had with the scribes and the Pharisees. And the honest part of this is this happened way more than we actually realize. And we do see some of this in Mark and Luke with the other gospel writers, but most of these disputes that we learn about are in the book of Matthew. Because remember, Matthew was writing to primarily a Jewish audience, and the scribes and the Pharisees were the main opposition that the Jewish people faced at the time. So Matthew is focusing on parts of life and the teaching of Jesus that is most relevant to his audience, just like we do today. You know, for example, if I'm talking to moms, I may highlight one aspect of scripture that's different than if I'm talking to teens. Or if I'm talking to children, that might be something completely different. When you are teaching or preaching or trying to explain biblical concepts, you contextualize the message for the audience to help them understand the point they're trying to make, and its relevancy to their own lives. That's part of what Matthew is doing here. So these warnings that Matthew include initially would be for those that were opposing Jesus at the time, which were the scribes and the Pharisees. But the larger audience for those warnings would be anyone who's opposing Jesus. And I think there's value for us even now. So Jesus starts off by addressing these teachers of the law because they would be teaching that knowing the scripture was more important than obeying the scripture. Because in their line of thinking, they basically said you had to know the word in order to obey the word, which that in theory is true. It makes sense. But what we have learned over the last couple of weeks is that there's a difference for them between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And this is what Jesus is warning about. Knowing the scriptures is not the same thing as acting in line with God's heart. So that's what he is warning them about. And so he starts off by talking about how they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. And what he's talking about, these heavy loads, he's essentially talking about all the rules that the Pharisees had made that were supposedly the way to be within God's favor. They had taken the Old Testament and then they created all these additional laws, oral laws and rules that they said that were also divinely inspired, even though 
these were traditions of man. This is what they made. This is not what God had initially set. And there was so much obligation and so much restriction in these oral laws that they really outweighed what God actually said in the Old Testament. And so they put such a barrier between these people and God that it felt impossible. And the further they went down that line, the more rules they piled up. And so there's a mention of this word phylacteries. And I didn't know what that was before I started researching this passage years ago. And I bet that you probably don't know what a phylactery is either. A phylactery is a small box where they would strap onto their head or their left hand or their arm during their prayers. And inside that box will be scripture passages. And they did that because they took the scripture from Deuteronomy very literally. Let me read it for you. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So while we can see where they may have been going with this, the better interpretation of this scripture from Deuteronomy would have been to understand them to mean integrate these into your daily life. Wearing them on your head, but not actually doing them is really no different than wearing a Christian t-shirt or a hat, but then acting completely opposite of that behind closed doors. And so when he refers to them as hypocrites, that's what he's referring to. They may say the prayers and they may wear a box that's full of the scripture, but they have no compassion on those that are right in front of them. And that box may contain the words, love God and love others, but there was a big disconnect between those wearing them on their physical body and actually acting like that in the practical sense. And so he goes into this series of woes. And the woes are essentially forms of prayer. We see this a lot in the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament prophets would use the woes to speak judgment over someone, almost like curses. And so it's similar to how the Beatitudes were like blessings. We, we studied those a, a couple weeks back, but these are the opposite. They're curses. So these are essentially curses calling them hypocrites. And the crazy part about all of that is that in theory, the Pharisees would have agreed with what Jesus was saying because it reflects God's heart, even God's heart in the Old Testament. And they would have most likely have argued with Jesus saying that they weren't really violating God's law. But again, there's a difference between the way they say they act and how they actually act. That's why he calls them hypocrites. And you know, that word hypocrites at the time, it was actually a Greek word and it was talking about actors. They would play different people on stage. And so that word became a synonym for someone that was two-faced because the way they acted in public was different than the way that they acted in private. Do you know anyone like that? I think we all do. And sometimes that may even be us. And so the second thing that he warns about is the fact that they're going to great lengths to win someone over, to win somebody over to their way of thinking. But then he says that they make them a child of hell twice as much as they are by teaching them wrongly. It's twice as much because it's not just what they have taught them, but now that person is going to go out and teach that same thing. And they are perpetuating these barriers to a relationship with God. And then he goes on and he talks about the vows and the oaths. 
One of their rules in that time in the Jewish culture was they would not say the name of God, Yahweh, out loud. So instead, they would swear a lesser oath, like something related to God. So, for example, instead of saying, I swear to God, they would swear to the temple or to the altar or something in the temple or in the altar. That way, if they didn't keep their oath, they wouldn't incur the wrath of God for not upholding their end of the deal. But they had the illusion of character and accountability to God without actually having character and accountability to God. Someone who is truly acting in accordance with God's heart in actual relationship with him, they would only need to say a yes or a no, because the intention there would be that they would keep their word as an honest person. Then he goes on and he talks about the tithe. Things like justice and mercy and faith. They're all principles that scripture is based on. And the rabbis themselves would often summarize the law with a principle like love. And yet they spend so much time following and enforcing every letter of the law when it comes to things like the tithe, even tithing on things like the spices that they grew in their yard. But they completely overlook things like mercy and justice. And Jesus isn't saying that things like the tithe are important. But what he is saying is that these basic principles should have been learned first and taught first. If you tithe, but you are operating love, what's the point? Have you ever met someone that was as mean and as nasty as could be, but they faithfully tithe every single week? I have. And that's kind of the attitude that he's addressing here. And then he talks about cleaning. Ritual purity was very important to the Pharisees. So they washed themselves and even their utensils and their dishes in these ritual baths. Most of the Pharisees at this time had this mentality that the outside of a cup could be clean, even if the inside wasn't, as long as it was dipped inside these ritual baths. And Jesus is making the point that, well, in the Rachel version, that's dumb. If the inside is dirty, it doesn't matter if the outside is clean. And he's making this figurative point about their hearts, and they are completely missing it. And then he talks about the tombs. He talks about the whitewashed tombs. In that culture, a dead body was essentially the epitome of being unclean, so much so that if you touched it, you would be unclean for a week. They believed that you became unclean even if your shadow touched a grave, let alone a dead body. And so the tombs will be whitewashed each spring before Passover. And that word tomb, it doesn't mean like a headstone. It means more like an individual small stone to mark a gravesite. And whitewashing meant that they would be marked with white chalk because people would be coming in for the Passover. And without that mark of that white chalk, they could easily step on it or come within the shadow of that tomb and it would make them unclean on the way into the city for the Passover. And then he also talks about the tomb in regards to the monuments. And when he mentions the the word tombs in this passage, in this part of the scripture, it's a different word where he's talking about these huge monuments that would have been decorated for people like the prophets or somebody that had a lot of money. And when someone would die, initially they would place their body in a location to decompose. And then later they would go back and collect the bones and put the bones in a box called an ossuary. And then they would have a second burial. And often, if you were rich or if you had some sort of influence, those tombs would be pretty impressive. They would have paintings and artwork, all sorts of stuff, really a show of wealth and leadership or status. And so what Jesus is doing is he's making this point that these tombs are like their hearts. They may look nice on the outside, but inside, it's just full of something dead and rotting. Over and over again, we see Jesus warning them against this behavior that may look great on the outside, but it was so drastically different than what was going on on the inside. And Jesus is hurt by this because these are the religious leaders and they're acting so opposite of what God's heart truly is. It should make us stop and examine our own hearts. 
and our motivations and our behavior. The good news is that God wouldn't allow it to stay this way. In fact, God had a rescue plan, and that plan was Jesus. So given that insight, let's go back and reread chapter 23. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and said to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you, do and comply with it all, but do not do as they do, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move with them so much as their finger. And they do all their deeds to be noticed by other people, for they brought in the phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the seats of honor in the synagogues and personal greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by the people. But as for you, do not be called rabbi, for only one is your teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for only one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for only one is your leader, that is Christ. But greatest of you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven in front of people, for you do not enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and then he becomes one, if you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that is sanctified the gold? And you say, whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering that is on it is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, the one who swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And the one who swears by the temple swears both by the temple and him who dwells in it. And the one who swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So to you outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs for the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And so you say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you snakes, you offspring of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you will fall the guilt of all the righteous bloodshed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murder between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. 
Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, oh, it's so hard to read some of these words, but yet we recognize ourselves in these pages and perhaps moments that we ourselves have been guilty of acting hypocritically. God, would you convict our hearts in the areas of our lives that we've done that, God? Would you help us to recognize that it's the inside, that heartfelt righteousness, the difference between heart knowledge and head knowledge. God, help us to get it. Help it to seek down deep into our hearts so that even if the outside isn't 100% there yet, that you would start with our hearts and we would lay them down and surrender them to you. God, I pray for an area of our lives to be revealed where we have been disobedient in this. God, help us to recognize any of those areas and surrender them to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.